This is your host of the Recruiters Recruitment Podcast. I'm Leisha Holmes, and I just wanted to say thank you for choosing to listen to our episode. Now, before we start, I would like to thank our sponsors, Hoxo Media and Vincere. I will explain a bit more about them later on in the episode as to how you, our listener, can benefit from a unique discount by mentioning the Recruiters Recruitment Podcast when you contact them. Now, remember to click subscribe as you're listening now to get notified of every new weekly episode of the Recruiters Recruitment Podcast. Without further ado, let's jump in to the episode. This is Leisha Holmes and I'm your host on the Recruiters Recruitment Podcast and I feel a little bit in awe today um, because I've invited to our global audience somebody that I actually met in the real life flesh quite a few years ago uh, and we have been following each other on LinkedIn, we've had many conversations. He has got a rather, I don't want to say notorious reputation, but he's the original LinkedIn man. This is Mitch Sullivan and he is trainer and coach runs copywriting for recruiters and actually his day job is still I think very much recruiters so welcome to you today Mitch how are you? Hi Alicia I bet you say that to all the boys don't you? I do and the girl. (laughs) How are you are you well? Yeah I'm okay I'm okay. Did did I do you justice with the introduction have I missed anything off? No I I don't recruit as much as you perhaps intimated I, I, I deliberately like to take on jobs that come to me Mostly they come through referrals. I've got one particular source of referrals. Um, and I just, I find it interesting. It, it makes, it keeps everything relevant for me. Having to fill jobs, understanding what it's like to be a bit under pressure to do all those mechanical things that us recruiters have to do to, to yeah. So, so I, I, plus that's where the real money is in recruitment. It's yeah. true. But actually, it, I imagine it sets you apart in your training sphere because it means you're still doing the job. You understand what real recruiters are feeling from a pain point as opposed to it yeah. being the- theoretical. Yeah, I've, look, I've been doing this for a long time. Um, um, even though I came into the industry relatively late compared to most people, um, unlike, say, Bill Borman, who's been in the industry longer than me, way longer than me, but he joined, he joined it when he was about 12, I think. Um, yeah, I, I came into it relatively late. I was in my mid to late 20s and it was a career decision. I, I chose recruitment. I, I didn't fall into it. I thought do? about it. What were you doing? Sorry? What were you doing before? Well, my, I, my first job in recruitment was working for a contingency recruitment agency. It had about 12, 15 offices. It was part of a bigger group. Right. that also did exec search and a few other things. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a PLC. It was a big company. Um, and... Um, I was a branch manager. I, my first job in recruitment was a branch manager, would you believe? Yeah. And it was, um, I opened their first ever London office um, with me and three other people. And I went from, because I was in B2C sales before and I've worked for this company about seven, six, seven years. Um, and I, I'd done really well there. And I, I was the most successful regional sales manager they'd ever had. And I was managing 25 people right. um, at the age of sort of 26. Yeah. Um, so I went when I came into recruitment because I, I was conscious I needed some B2B experience because I'd spent all my life in B2C sales up until that point. What were you um, actually selling? Um, it was membership to a book club, actually. Wow. Yeah, it's a bit convoluted. I won't bore you with that because it's not none of it's really relevant. But it was it was a commission driven business. It was door to door sales. Yeah. Um, but it was very very organised. You know, we had team leaders on patch with company cars and. Anyway, blah, blah, blah. So um, I, I, I came into the industry thinking, right, B2B experience, this is a great way 
to, to, to accelerate my understanding of B2B, the B2B world. Um, and, I, um, and I'd been a very successful manager. I, I, I was a good manager. I was effective. I was, and so um, I came into this job thinking, this is going to be a piece of piss. I'm going to have my feet up on the windowsill drinking tea half the day, just looking out the window. Yeah. And it was the most brutal 14 months of my life. Hilarious. Um, well, I probably wasn't the most brutal for me, but it was tough. Um, I had quite a demanding manager um, or managers, um, um, but you know, it, it was an interesting relationship. I learned a lot, um, and and I left there and went to another PLC recruitment company that had a sales division because I did sales recruitment because that's what I knew, um, and um, and I went there as a consultant, just right. on on a yeah. Um, because I'm thinking I've got to understand this job from the ground, you know, because going in at Mandarin was a mistake, really, yeah. even though the office was successful, um, but it was never quite successful enough for the likes of the person I was reporting to, which kind of pissed me off a bit. Um, and yeah, I stayed there a couple of years, two, three years. Um, and then within a year of that, I was working for myself. So I've, I've been self-employed since I was, what, 32. Wow. You know? like, what, just a couple of years then? I'm just winking at everyone. Uh, we just had a chat off camera about how old we both are. Uh, no, that I, I love the the sort of pragmatism of of what you just explained there, and I think it's really good to contextualise somebody like yourself that you know, in terms of what you share and the persona that you have, that actually you have sort of taken that step. Not I don't want to say step back into a consultant role, but you recognise that in order for you to truly understand what you would be managing and developing people and you didn't ever have any experience of so I find that really fascinating now you were one of the first people I mean I've been on LinkedIn since about 2008 but you were definitely one of the first people that I connected to and what I would say was one of the you were one of the original people to share content and talk about things and then you know obviously we fast forward to now where obviously everybody's sharing content and everybody's talking but I think for me you were definitely one of the first people to be driving that thought process that we should be using this um this social media so you know your copywriting for recruiters course I mean in particular is it focuses on how recruiters communicate through their social media channels and everything so what what's your starting point why are you so passionate about recruiters understanding that it's not just about selling on the phone just give us a bit of context around how okay. it came about well look just just to clarify, the, the copywriting for recruiter training course mm. essentially teaches recruiters how to sell jobs in writing. That's okay. it. Yep. Yeah. Now, the principles that they learn can be easily adapted to social media, email, email, other forms of messaging. With some more changes, it can also be adapted to phone conversations. It's, it's about structuring the content, um, which is what sales is. Sales is about structuring the co whatever content you want to deliver to a prospect in a way that's going to make them more interested. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, so that's, that's what the course does. Um, look, I, the, the copywriting thing and the, the social media thing that there, there is some kind of convergence there. So look, just to put the social media thing into context, because I, I appreciate I've become reasonably well known within the UK recruitment world. Um, and I've done that by being around a long time on mm -hmm. LinkedIn, mm -hmm. probably one of the first people to openly give their opinions yes. and be a little bit controversial, be a bit antagonistic, which was deliberate. Mm -hmm. um, and 
um, but I, I, I'd had a lot of experience on the internet prior to that. I mean, I've, I've, been, I've been getting into arguments with people on the internet since 2001. Seriously. He's the original keyboard warrior, everyone. I, mean, I am one of those. Yeah, I, I, I made my own shield and sword in a cave back in those days. Um, look, and, you know, and I, I, I've, I've been on some you know, rough, tough forums, mm. um, had my ass handed to me on a plate a few times. That's how you learn. That's how you learn how to handle yourself and handle other people. And, and so um, I just gradually got better at it. Um, and having a, a, a strong amount of sensitivity around copywriting and copy and writing, uh, I guess I've got a certain amount of natural ability in writing things in a way that people find entertaining to read. And I've always tried to make, because most of what I'm doing, I'm selling. I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to get people interested in doing my training course. And, but I do try and at least make the advertising for that as entertaining as possible, if I can. Yeah, yeah I think and I want to come back to this, but I just want to interject because I think that because you created and it's it this shows that this does not happen overnight. This has taken you years to perfect this level of dare I say sarcasm, slightly antagonistic. I mean, I, I met you years ago, so I know that a lot of it was kind of online persona, but that's fine. I think you've earned the right to do that. But some people try and mimic that and it's not their true voice. And I think right. I kind okay. of I guess make that point that sometimes you sort of think people just mimicking somebody like you that, that has created this incredible community and you have you know created this big personality for yourself and I think it just comes across sometimes as a bit insincere that someone's maybe trying to be the next Mitch Sullivan. I, yeah I, I, yeah god only knows why somebody wouldn't do that um <laughs> you know I, I'll, I'll show them some photos of my life might, might put them off um no but actually it's, it's an interesting point that actually because I think I, I heard a quote a while ago and it was and it it sounds a bit grandiose within the context of this discussion but I'll try and remember it if I can it was something along the lines of all artists mimic others until they find their own style yeah, yeah. and I, I mimicked other writers that I saw on the internet back in those early days there, there was a guy called Maddox some people may remember him he was a humorist basically but he was quite hardcore and uh, I, I just loved this guy's stuff and and his some of his phraseology some of his sort of the way he, the angles he took when looking at things I kind of picked up on and I plagiarized lines from his and used them in bits of mine and and kind of that's how you kind of find your voice um I was also on a, another networking platform years ago in the mid 2000s, um, which actually looks remarkably like LinkedIn now, but it was ahead of its time and it was run by two idiots. Um, but, it, you know, I, I had a lot of practice on there as well with business people. Um, I got thrown off eventually. Um, and so, yeah, I've, 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 I've had a lot of a, a lot of um, a lot of uh, experience. And, yeah, I, I see other people trying to find their voice. And it's interesting. Um, I, I never, I, I try to never comment on threads on LinkedIn or anywhere else that are about posting on LinkedIn yeah. or about how to get more followers or blah, blah, blah. It, you know, and it's all become very kind of meta and very kind of insular. Um, but I, I, I'm still curious to look at them sometimes because you learn about how people are thinking about the use of social media. Without a shadow of a doubt, and let's face it, that you could say plagiarism is the, at the heart of everything that we do because we all share the same human experiences. So I find it interesting that you use that comment. So I want to come back to this cop the copywriting element because it, it, it's very clear that the, the need for this is because you believe a lot of recruiters are not very good 
at communicating to their audience. And that's, for me, that's the upshot. And then, you know, just to corroborate what Mitch is talking about, I actually, when Shannon started for me in 2017, I think it was, I put her on your course pretty quickly within her first year. And it absolutely elevated how she wrote and how she communicated. And I obviously then went on to recommend, you know, just to really validate what you're talking about. But talk to me about why you think a lot of recruiters are getting it wrong. We briefly interrupt this chat on the Recruiters Recruitment Podcast to introduce to you our partnership with Vincere, the recruitment operating system. Vincere is the modern recruitment operating system for recruitment and staffing agencies around the globe. A single tech platform that unifies your CRM, your ATS, your website, candidate and client portals, shift scheduler, timesheets, data and analytics, and now including video interviewing and outreach all under one roof. This is the reason the Recruiters Recruitment Podcast chose to partner with Vincere because we want to make the job of a modern recruiter as simple as possible. So if you're looking for a new recruitment CRM to manage your entire operation, visit vincere.io and remember to mention the Recruiters Recruitment Podcast. Now, back to the chat. Um, I'm going to try and keep this as short as I can because it's quite a potential a long answer. Um, no, a, a lot of recruiter habits happen through osmosis. They just pick up things by listening to others in the office that, oh, that guy does well or she's building good numbers. That's, yeah. So, you know, um, and I think, I think the, 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 the seismic, events of the 2000s you know with the internet taking hold job boards taking hold social media at the back end of 2009 2010 starting to go mainstream they all kind of changed the game the rise of in-house recruitment i mean lots of companies bringing recruitment in-house which took quite a lot of money off the table for a lot of agencies they had they had to rethink yep. some of them some of them just hit the quantity button and just threw more mud up the wall but um all of those things kind of, I think, have contributed to a state of play now where, you know, writing is when everything, writing is everything. When I came into recruitment, everything started from the phone. Yeah. You know, 1989, everything started from the phone. Every candidate uh, interaction, every client relationship, all of it started from the phone. Um, now, I'd argue it, it pretty much it all starts from a keyboard, literally. Yeah. Nobody, yeah. It, 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 so, so. And and when you produce content and put it online, it's there and people can find it and look back at it and scroll back a, a year or two and build a picture of who or what you are, or what your business is. So I, I just think it's absolutely critical. I, you know, I know I sound biased, but no. I haven't heard a good counter argument to this yet. No, there, well, there isn't one. And the, and the fact is that if you want to pick up, if you want to get on a new client or a new candidate, you can pick up the phone to one person and have to dial a hundred times, or you can put some really good content out and impact thousands of people in one go with one voice. And I just, that's, that's the simplicity of why content marketing is the best way to elevate yourself as a recruiter or a business person generally. Yeah. It, look, it's difficult for some people. It's easier for people like me and you, I think, because, Certainly for me, I could say what the hell I like because the only person I, I had to be answerable to is her indoors and, and she doesn't work in recruitment. And, um, you know, I, I can say what and do what I like, as I believe you probably can as well. So 
a lot of people aren't in that position. They're, 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 they're hamstrung to some extent by an employer yeah. or a certain market or certain other affiliations they may have. Um, yeah. I, I'm, I'm really glad you brought that point up, actually, because I think you're right. I've always felt that I'm free. I'm free to say what I want. And if a Marmite to some people, well, so be it. I'm not trying to attract the ones that don't like me. I'm trying to attract the ones that do because they're my people. But I agree with you that this is where there's been a real sort of disparity between those that work for an employer that understand that channeling out people's personal brands is it, it it's the only way to grow their own employer brand um, and it must be really frustrating and especially there are some sectors which have been very late to the party because it's traditionally you know not seen as you know mm. the, the way to communicate you know they're a little bit draconian potentially and I think it's interesting to see as those sectors follow suit and, and start to adapt as well. But I, I totally agree with what you're saying. And I think, you know, allow people that freedom to express themselves. So, I mean, in terms of, if we're thinking about our audience who are, you know, split between leaders and then the recruiters, a lot, we actually get a lot of listeners who are just starting their recruitment journey. Um, and let's say they've never really had to write content before, you know, maybe they're just not people that feel comfortable with it. What would you sort of, and then we're not, we're not asking you to plagiarize your course here, but as a starting point, what would you say your advice would be? As a starting point, hmm. okay. Um, I'm tempted to say write for the reader, but for most people, they won't really get what that means. It, it's... No, what, what, we, what, we, what we teach on this copywriting course is a formula. It's called ADA, it's no big secret. It stands for attention, interest, desire, action. It's been the basic DNA of all direct response advertising for 120 years, ever since that, yeah? And we've just, we've, we've just um, contextualized it around recruitment and, and in specific, specifically around job advertising. And, the, and that first A, attention, basically relates to the first sentence in your ad, or your piece of content, or your blog. Um, or your social media posts. That's why you sometimes see people put a first sentence on LinkedIn, then hit hit the paragraph break button five times, so you can't see what's coming next. To, yeah, which is a desperate attempt to, um, to, to 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 generate interest, curiosity. Full click isn't it? Yeah, well, that's the other word. Yeah. So, okay. but, but so I would say, look, make the opening sentence either about the reader or about something that arouses curiosity. So something perhaps they're not expecting to read. Yeah. It's called, we call it a pattern disruptor in sales training. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and, and, and that's what I mean by write for the reader is, is make your opening sentence so interesting that it makes the reader want to read the second sentence. Yeah. Once you get them four, five, six sentences in, they're probably going to read the whole thing. Yeah. So, Think about the first hundred words. Absolutely critical is the first hundred words. And the, statistically, the easiest way to get somebody to read, let's say, a job ad, yeah, is to make is to tell them why that job might be better than the one that they're in. Yeah. Not not will definitely be better, but might be better. Yeah. yeah? And, and that's it. And then the other advice I'd give is write as you speak. Yeah, definitely. Not please, please, it's 2022. Can we stop saying my client? <laughs> a dynamic market leader. They're a market leader and it's a world beating commission scheme. Please stop. Thank you. Um, now, obviously, you are still quite hands on in terms of understanding what recruiters go through these days. But the world is changing. And I think the, the fact that we're having this conversation, that the norm is we have to be marketeers. Now we have to be all these things. 
the war for talent in every sector is going to continue. I can't see that changing. What 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 skills do you think we should be focusing on in terms of bringing new people through? You know, you came from a B two C background. Let's think about as a sector ourselves, we have got a massive bottleneck problem. I'm saying that as a rectorate, we re and I know you do rectorate. We have got a massive problem. So what? How do we adapt and ensure that we're winning in bringing talent through ourselves? Okay. So I just wanted to break away from the chat for 60 seconds to talk to you about an issue a lot of agencies are facing right now and what one company, Hoxo Media, are doing about it. There's a lot of talk about what it takes to be the quote unquote modern recruiter, personal branding, building an online presence, finding new and innovative ways to engage the market, whatever your market is. It's an approach most businesses are fumbling around with at the moment, to be honest. Meanwhile, Hoxo have absolutely nailed it. They are arguably the world's foremost marketing agency dedicated exclusively to the recruitment sector. And they've worked out what recruiters need to do to see tangible success through online activity. They've developed a proven methodology to follow on LinkedIn daily to establish you, you, as the go-to recruiter in your space and drive inbound leads and new business opportunities on a consistent basis. Now they teach it all to you over an eight week course in the Hoxo Academy. I actually completed the Hoxo Academy in the very height of COVID and it completely transformed my business. In fact, it paid for itself by the end of week two. The best place to find out more about Hoxo Media is to check out their website, hoxomedia.com or search for them on LinkedIn and give them a follow. They give away an absolute ton of valuable advice and actionable tips for free. But if and when you're ready to seriously invest in your online brand, give these guys a shout, but make sure to tell them that Leisha from Key Recruitment sent you and just quote the podcast, the Recruiters Recruitment Podcast, and they'll give you a cheeky discount as well. Not bad, eh? Now, back to the chat. Okay, look, the, 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 the easiest answer is training, spend more money on training. Recruitment businesses are not good at spending money in general. You know this as well as I do. And that's not a criticism, but a lot of them, because they're boutique, are, are kind of run like quarterly cash businesses. Mm. Um, and because they're owner managed, the, the, the management is somewhat emotional because it's owner managed. Um, but, you know, if, if it's training, all kinds of training, not just mine, anyone's, just, just any training that helps them get better at the job. But beyond that, I've always been a fan of recruiting trainee recruiters from the sector that you want them to work in. Okay, that's interesting. So if you're going to hire someone to be a hospitality recruiter, hire somebody with the right attributes who's worked in hospitality. Yeah, I agree. You know, serve drinks, wait at tables. I mean, this gives you gives them a granularity that other recruiters won't have. And I, I brought that sensitivity about selling. So yeah. I, I, I was suddenly dealing with sales managers, clients who wanted to hire salespeople. Uh, and I kind of understood them very quickly because I've been a sales manager myself. I've been a salesperson myself. I'd worked on commission only. I'd sold advertising as well. Um, and, and yeah, I, and, and that may be difficult, more difficult in some sectors than others, mm-hmm. but I don't see any reason why a recruiter as a trainee shouldn't be expected to start their recruitment life recruiting jobs that they at least understand because there's plenty of other stuff they need to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, and learning about the market is 
is, is it can take time. And, and one of the biggest criticisms I hear from candidates is the recruiter doesn't understand my market, doesn't know anything about it. You know, they're sending me the wrong jobs. They're doing the wrong keyword searches, blah, blah, blah. So I think some of that might be addressed if they just bring in people who've got at least a strong sensitivity for that sector. And then let the recruiter evolve on from there. The, it, another quote I heard, this is when I moved to Switzerland. I, I, I went and taught business English for a couple of years wow. um, until I worked out how I was going to make a living whilst living in Switzerland. Um, that was back in sort of mid-90s. Um, so I had a couple of years out of recruitment, actually, which, which I needed, I think, looking back. Um, but the, the, one of the tutors on, on the course that I did said the easiest way to teach people what they don't know is through what they do know. Uh, yes. Very and and that, that, that was applicable to. So, so basically what, what he was teaching me to do was to build lessons around a subject that that group would be interested in. Yeah. Mm. Basically. So I took a group of teenagers um, every, you know, every week. And one of the lessons I did was built around a Tom Petty song. Literally, and we just yeah, and we just built the language lesson around them, sort of listening and arranging the words. Um, and, and I think that's true of, of recruiters. They'll they'll become better recruiters probably if they can at least understand the jobs that they're working on. I tell everything that you've said there is exactly how I think recruitment should be done. Whether you're recruiting right. in engineering or legal, some of the best recruiters I've ever come across have come from their industry originally, yeah. because you have. You do have a gravitas that you probably wouldn't have if you were a trainee just from another background. You can benchmark better. I think the risk is, and I think the risk is that you don't want to be, um, you don't want to make any assumptions. You still have to learn how to ask open questions. You still have yeah. to understand what their first that person's skill set is. And I have seen that happen. You know, back in the nineties when I did engineering recruitment, we we did actually at prime time talking about Bill Bormill, they hired um, an engineer to come and do. She was engineering sales. To come and work in our team and I, I had to mentor her and I still remember you know she was way more experienced than me in terms of life she was you know a good 10 years older than me she'd been very successful in engineering sales and she basically told this candidate what he did for his job she didn't ask him any questions and she oh, lasted really? about two months and I used to sit there and say well you didn't ask him any questions and she was like what do you know um so I think that's the risk but generally speaking with yeah. the training program and I think honestly if you're listening to this as a leader and you do not have an intrinsic trend you know somebody sitting just learning on the job and listening to everybody else you, you it's a recipe for failure and they'll, they'll be calling me they'll be calling yeah, me yeah. At point, i can tell you now that's that's a really interesting point actually um bringing in someone that experience i tried doing that as well and it also failed actually um you just reminded me um so i think getting them at the right time of their life and career is, is, is important and i think also Bringing in somebody who's an experienced salesperson into recruitment yeah. is tricky. Yeah. Um, I'm an example of that. I mean, I, I, I battled with the concept of recruitment for a few years, actually two or three years. And a, a large part of that was, why am I doing this on success only? Uh, yeah. Not, not that at that time I thought I was worthy of anything else, but you know, I, I had to understand the mechanics of recruitment. So I did contingency recruitment and was reasonably decent at it. Um, and but I was always questioning this kind of this is bullshit. This 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 running around and filling one in every four jobs that I work on, pissing some clients off because I didn't fill their job and blah blah blah. So and and that came about because I had this kind of this sales attitude and and yeah. selling for nothing doesn't make sense in the world of sales, but it seems to make sense in recruitment. Which um, is why you are without a shadow of a doubt one of the leading voices on retained 
something retained? Well, well, that's that's what I started out when I decided I was going to move into coaching. That was what I decided to do. Um, yeah. Louise Archer owns that tag now, not she me. Does. Um, she does. I, I, I don't I don't operate in that area at all now. Um, um, so any leads I get, I pass on to Louise. Um, she's the, she's the expert. But I I fundamentally believe that if the industry, the third party recruitment industry, is going to grow up, it has to embrace um, uh, retained. No, not 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 100%, but I don't see any reason, and I've worked with businesses that have achieved what I'm about to say, um, can can get to a 50-50 split inside a year. Yeah, I agree with you. If they're a smallish company, it's, it's much, much harder, obviously, for, for, a, for a, a, a big uh, a big um, shop, but um, it's not, not that hard. It's not no, that hard. Look, as an industry, you know, you think about any, any other service-led industry that you go to, where you are you, engaging a consultant, you pay for your services up front. You go to the de dentist, you go to whatever it might be, a lawyer, you, a, a, an accountant, you pay for your service. And I have never understood as someone who's been in recruitment for a very long time too, why it wasn't kind of, that was the prerequisite. Why was contingency it, the assumptive start? Well, it, it, it used to make complete sense. Before the internet, it made total sense. I used to sell contingency as a massive benefit. Yeah. Why, why would you want to spend money on an ad, Mr. Client, when I can send you three or four people, won't cost you a penny, they'll probably be better than the people you're going to get respond to your ad anyway, and blah, blah, blah. Um, but that doesn't make sense anymore because now when, when we spoke to a client back in 89, 90, 90, you know, in the 90s, um, that client we knew would be talking to two, three, four of our competitors. Yeah. But the client was getting a good deal because he or she was talking to four or five agencies who would all then go and look in four or five different places. Mm -hmm. So they got a, a good blend. I, mean, I don't, I remember two arguments over candidate representation in my first 15 years in recruitment. That's pretty impressive. Now that happens twice a day in every single recruitment agency office, probably. It's, it's bonkers. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it's, it's now everyone's looking in the same places. Candidate duplication has gone through the roof. In-house recruitment has complicated it. Social media has complicated LinkedIn has complicated it. Who owns the LinkedIn accounts? Uh, who's, who's got what network? It's just so much more complicated, which makes it more interesting. But it's not conducive contingency. It just isn't. It really isn't. And I just want to say as well, Louise has been on our podcast. She came on in well, I've known Louise for many years and like yourself, if any of my clients talk to me about retained, the first thing I do is I introduce them to Louise and I have done many times. So we will make sure she's tagged on this post as well. So yeah, she's a, she's an absolute legend. She's one of the nicest people you'll ever meet if ever you get the I, 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 Yeah, I've met her a few times and worked with her a few times. Well, she, yeah, she seems lovely. I, I probably don't know, well, I don't know her as well as you, but yeah. She is formidable. But just just going back to what you've just said, it makes me, God, when you, when you describe the recruitment industry like that, it makes me just feel absolutely sort of suffocated for those that are starting their journeys it sounds overwhelming you think how on earth am I going to set myself apart well I just want to say that we never get any situations of candidate duplicity because we get candidates exclusively so we're just never right. you're just blocking out your whole competition so I do genuinely think it's time that people started to think about you know we can't charge candidates um we're not allowed to do that but it, ensuring that you are wrapping up your talent pool is by getting them exclusively yes. Yeah, given your business model, that make, makes complete sense. But I've always figured, and maybe you can educate me, is it's it's harder to get candidate exclusivity than client, actually, bizarrely, because the candidates, it's morally, is it quite right to tie them down if they're actively looking? I don't know. Um, but 
you're working with recruiters, recruiters should understand the dynamics, I guess. Is it easy to get them to, to agree to that? It's, I think it's like asking anybody, is it easy to build a trusting relationship? It takes time. Um, right. It's your reputation. People come to us because we're discreet, you know, especially those who are experienced. The more people yeah. you're speaking to, the more chance you've got of your boss finding out. It's as simple as that. So I think that for maybe Rectorec is unique in that way. But if I, you're a, an experienced recruiter, why on earth would you go and speak to 10 Rectorex or put your CV out on a job board? You just would not do that. You can't risk it. So I think maybe yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a unique element of how the Rectorec market works. But it always staggers me when we do speak to a recruiter that's already speaking to like other Rectorex in the market, which, you know, there's enough room for everybody, by the way. Um, but we just we, we back off because if, if someone isn't exclusive, our model doesn't work for them because we want to be able to relax get them you know get understand what they're about um, and I don't see why that can't work in other markets if you've if you've built a reputation for yourself whether it's legal whether it's data whether it's life sciences you are renowned in your market you're going to know all the best clients why wouldn't you want to build those sorts of relationships I just to me I just think it's time that people rethought how especially because we're so talent short in most markets and I can't see that changing that's how you wrap up your the same way you would wrap up a client exclusively you can do exactly the same thing with a candidate and it's it's moral because you're protecting their confidentiality yeah no i get that so let, let me ask you another question then um would i be right in assuming that most of the people that you place is people that you've already established a relationship with rather than them coming to you i'm looking and you find them a job inside a month. It's a mix, actually. I, don't, I'm, 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 I love the fact that I'm, I'm being interviewed on the Recruiters Recruitment Podcast. Yeah, no, it's a mixture. Um, but, you know, I've been doing this for 20 years, Rec to Rec. Um, and obviously our content, you know, you and I share a love for content marketing. We have built out, a, you know, between the three of us and also key recruitment, you know, we have got a reputation for doing as we say we do. Um, but a lot of our um, referrals are from people that have known us for a very very long time it's a true it's a true mixture I mean I, I would say that since I've really focused on, on content marketing over the last two years since I did the Hoxo Academy I would say I'm probably getting a lot more exclusive new candidates because they've been watching me they are watching the content and, and that is the sort of message that I get I've been following you for months I can see yeah. that you're different um, and I need some advice and I'm like and I go into it with no agenda and that you know meant to be a pitch for me by the way this is just about getting recruiters listening who are in talent short markets where it's very competitive just maybe slightly change your thinking on how you engage with your candidates from the start and you've probably got more chance than of placing um, and you've got probably more chance of placing your retained assignment too because you you're not get you're locking out your competition simple as that yeah. well look sorry I, I know this is supposed to be about me not you let me ask you one last question because I'm curious what are the biggest drivers for recruiters to change jobs in your experience? Uh, right now in 2022, um, general, in general, general um, it's not really, it's usually around values and that covers quite a lot of things. It's usually around leadership. Um, they're questioning leadership. Is it, are, are the leaders of their company focusing on things like well-being? These things really matter now. And well-being does include you, the way that you're rewarded financially. So that, that does cover commission. But it's generally now about how they've been treated as human beings. People generally that come to us, they want the choice of where they're going to work. Actually, it's not like black and white. It's not, I want to work from home all the time or I want to work in the office. They just want the choice to where they're going to be most productive that day, which I realise okay. is a little bit of a headache if you've got massive overheads. Do, um, do, do many recruiters consciously 
try and kind of climb the, what I call the fee ladder, which is they want to move into a sector that's got higher fees so they can earn more money. Does that happen? And, that, and that's actually, you know, that for me, that's as a dream kind of profile. I love working with people like that. And I love getting people that have, you know, clearly got exceptional skills. Because to me, recruitment is a process. And if you're following a set process, there's no reason why you can't go from placing three, four thousand pound fees to placing, you know, 15, 20, 30,000 pound fees if you're doing it properly. I think it's it's about focusing on skill set, isn't it? And it's about understanding people's behaviours and their understanding of how they immerse themselves in their market. Um, it's, it all comes back to where we started this conversation. It's all about communication. And there's no reason why you can't go from making, you know, I, 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 some of the best people I've placed, you know, have built, you know, sort of two, three grand fees, and then they've gone on to place 30, 40,000 pound fees by doing essentially the same process, but in a much right. more lucrative market. Do, do you agree that recruitment is one of the few job disciplines where you gradually just get, keep getting better and better the older you get? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we're biased because we're both old, but... Yeah. Oh, excuse me, I'm very, very young. Uh, no, it's true. And actually, it's funny because we, we'd started off, off camera talking about Bill Borman, that when I was interviewing him for the podcast, because he literally trained me in 1998 and he saved me from quitting. I was literally days off quitting. And if he hadn't sent me on that course three months in, I was going to quit. Um, and I think back to some of the mistakes that I made. And I do think that recruitment is an evolving process, even after I'm 23 years in, because... You're never going to have interviewed that person before. You're never going to have gone through that interview process before. And I just think it's an ever-changing. You're learning all the time because it's human beings that we're dealing with. I think it's Yeah, a- but life experience has got to help, yeah? Oh, definitely. Of course it has. Yeah. You think, you think, although you say that, you think, oh, there's not going to be any scenario that I've not come across before. But yeah, of course, the more mature you are, the more experience you've got to pull on, haven't you? And you think, well, we've gone through that scenario before. This is what you need to do. Thinking on your feet. But actually, some of the best recruiters that I've worked with, including Shannon, who's only five years in, you know, it's all about intuition. It is. And it's about making decisions quickly. And it's about sort of for it's having that foresight of what could happen it's planning ahead some of the key things that we do as recruiters are so intuitive to us we don't necessarily even think about it we follow a process but sometimes it's intuition that makes you a better recruiter in my opinion okay interesting i love it i love it back in the room so we're recording this in 2022 in february so hopefully by the time this goes out um you're still looking well and feeling great what plans have you got coming up what do we need to watch the mitch sullivan channel about what are you going to be getting no, up? I'm um, I'm in the process of transitioning from being a recruiter stroke trainer to being an e-commerce business owner. Wow. Um, so my the copyright for recruiters training course is now online. Um, so the essential kind of hardcore element of that training can now be done remotely. It's all pre-recorded. We put a lot of work into it. It was road tested for five years. So um, and we've been tinkering with it here and there, but um, so we've got a good product. It's online. Um, it's kind of growing slowly, but surely the revenue. Um, but still 80% of that revenue comes from the UK. And, and my challenge is now is to try and export that to the rest of the world. So that's what I'm going to be spending the next four or five years trying to do. That's well, it. it will please you to know that as, as people are sat here listening, only about 50% are in the UK. You've got people listening Go in America, Canada, Australia. 
So you're saying I picked the right show to come on. You yeah, picked the right me. show to come on. Absolutely. So hello to all our audience across the globe. And in fact, I, as I record this, I'm, I'm doing seven today. I started off in Australia and I'll be finishing up in America. So if you want to know more about Mitch and his online course, which I can personally validate, because I say Shannon went on the course in 2017, um, please drop Mitch a message. I'm sure he'll be delighted to help you. And thank you so much for what I knew would be a high energy, you know, diverse conversation for the Recruiters Recruitment Podcast. You're welcome, Alicia. Lovely seeing you again. You take care.